Emily, you've got a lot of exciting things happening. Obviously, you've had a lot of success over the last couple of years. What's got you fired up and excited today? What's got you amped up? So what's got me amped up right now is the thing I've been preparing to do by trying to pull out of the litigation world, which is I really want to start in the next six months or so building a specific service for small employers Mm. to deal with not only the legal questions around employment issues, but there's a lot of expertise out there that a small business owner doesn't access when they're in the middle of freaking out over a problem employee. Hey, law firm owners, welcome to the Your Practice Mastered Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm MPS. And I'm Richard James. Looking forward to today's conversation, Michael. Me too. And we're joined by attorney attorney Emily Smith-Lee. Super excited to have you on here today, Emily. Thank you for joining us. Hey, Michael. Hey, Rich. Great to be here. Great to have you on. I, uh, I'm excited. Not only are you a good friend and a captain in our program and you lead many of our mentor or you mentor members, um, but you're also a past EAY finalist in your own right, which means you've had success. Uh, for those who don't remember around here, EAY stands for All Attorney of the Year, uh, and, and Emily is a finalist. But this isn't going to be about us or Partners Club, but this is going to be about you today, Emily. So, Michael, why don't you start into that conversation? Well, I think that's the best way to start is learning a little bit more about Emily. So, Emily, why don't you just kick it off? Let's break the ice a little bit. What's something that others may not know about you? What's one thing that other people may not know about you? I like the way you ask that question. Sometimes it's asked, what does nobody know about you? There's very little nobody knows about me, but I guess. So when I graduated high school, I didn't go straight to college. I worked all summer at a gas station and saved money and took off in a car with a tent and a camping stove 95 cans of canned goods and drove across Canada till I ran out of money Wow! and had to get a job. Uh, why 95? Was it like all you could get or did you try, did you like think it that you needed 95, like one per day for three months or something? You like know, that? honestly, I remember the number specifically, but I have no idea. <laughs> and what kind of car was this? It was a bright yellow Pontiac Le Mans, I think. No. Nice. A Pontiac Le Mans. I love it. You could see it coming in the middle of the night. <laughs> I, I, that's great. And did you, uh, I, I assume, did you burn more oil than you did gas on the way? I mean, is that kind of how, because my, my, my 1960 Rambler b- burned equal amounts oil and gas. That's kind of no, how it went. it wasn't that bad. It wasn't that old a car. Okay. So, okay. It was yeah, all good. good. Well, you're a lot younger than I am, so, that, you know. Not a lot. <laughs> Not even a little. <laughs> That's great. So, wow. And where did you get to in Canada? Well, I got all the way across Canada and down the West Coast and landed in San Francisco. Okay. Wow. And then I spent the rest of the year working in San Francisco. Very nice. Okay. Well, that's a good segue. So, you spent the rest of your working in San Francisco. So, tell us a little bit about this journey, right? So your entrepreneurial journey as a law firm owner, you were in San Francisco, not sure if it's related to law or not, but tell us a little bit more about the journey. Yeah, I may jump over a few years. There were a few wandering around years in there. Eventually, it took me eight years to get through college because I had better things to do every couple of years. Eventually, I realized I wanted to go to law school and that what came with that is I had to finish my college degree. So I did jump over all those years. I actually started my career with a big law firm. One of those things that 
I wasn't sure I wanted to do, but in the end, I learned a lot from it. I spent 13 years at a major international firm in Boston, became a sort of income level partner, became like one of their first people on a mommy track to become a partner. I was killing it. It was awesome. Then the economy fell apart and I got laid off in 2009. So that's when this journey started. I hung out a shingle. I don't know if you want me to take you through all of the last years, but the big rocks were, first I had to unlearn everything I knew at big law. <laughs> <laughs> everything about the law and business, honestly. I mean, when you're in a large law firm with the kind of clientele they serve, every breath you take gets passed on to the client. Mm -hmm. So you don't have to worry about efficiency. You don't have to worry about like the systems that make things happen in a way that makes sense. You just spend your time doing your things and people pay you for it. Mm. It's kind of bananas. Wasn't like that <laughs> when I hung out my own shingle. So actually, you know, the first couple years were the most profitable years I've ever had because I had some leftover cases for my old firm. They were excited because I cost half as much as I did the week before. Hmm. And I didn't have to pay anybody anything, mm -hmm. right? It was me and an internet connection and a telephone. And then when I started to actually develop my own clientele, that's when all the hardship starts, right? Because it's too much work for me. I need some help. Suddenly I have help. I got to pay them. I got to figure out how to manage them. So without all the details, big picture, we grew too fast. We joined forces with another small firm and suddenly there we were with nine attorneys and an amount of staff to remember. And it looked like we were making all kinds of money, but it was all disappearing. Mm -hmm. Right. Hey, um, hey, I want to settle on something real quick because you said, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to miss this. So you said, got out of big law, acquired these clients because they were all of a sudden going to have to pay me half as much as they were going to pay before. So being a lesser expensive option was a part of your initial unique competitive advantage. Would you agree with that? I would, but it had an expiration date. Right. Sure. It had an expiration date because these were relationships I already had, you know, the kind of people who go bring their business to a large law firm are not the kind of people who are looking for a small suburban practice. Mm -hmm. So it worked out great for the relationships I already had, but it wasn't going to sustain a practice. Mm -hmm. Why do you think the, uh, why do you think the, the, when you joined forces with that other firm, cause you grew too fast and you were looking to pick up capacity, why do you think there wasn't enough profit at the end of the week, month, whatever. Why, why do you think you were going real fast looking, but you weren't profitable? What, what, is there a key driver there? Oh my, so many, <laughs> so many. Neither of us, my former partner or I, really had any discipline or experience in thinking about the math, the numbers, the, you know, we were lawyers. We go do lawyer things and then people pay us for it. That's how it works, right? Mm -hmm. That's how it worked at big law. But when you start throwing into a mix of contingent fee practices, a mix of hourly practices, a, you know, a clientele that isn't, that does eventually run out of money. You know, that was one part. The other part, I think, 
I guess the lesson learned in this chapter is more of a good thing is not always a better thing. And more of a thing that was a mixed bag to begin with is kind of a catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> and we were just kind of doing the more, more, more. Um, I don't yeah, know I remember is. you you had um, a multitude of practice areas when I first met you, if I remember correctly. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so you had a multitude of practice areas. So because you were progressing on the journey there and you guys combined forces and would you say that the growing fast or too fast, I should say, was kind of that big setback where you, you took a big valuable lesson and were able to move on? And look, there's so many of those in business. We all know that, right? Or was there another point in that journey where you're like, no, this was kind of the big low point, the setback. This is where we learned a super valuable lesson. What was that for you? In that period of time, let me take that question apart in my head for a minute. So the growing too fast for sure, but it was the growing on quicksand. You know, we didn't, I couldn't have woken up in the middle of the night and told you how the, what do you say, Rich, how the cow went through the pasture for every single practice area in that farm. And nobody else was interested in learning how to do that and understanding it. So when we sort of reconstituted smaller that year, we were down to three practice areas, half the number of people, I'm not going to say we immediately figured all that stuff out, but at least it was a limited number of rivers to chart. But what was the moment that you looked in the mirror, Emily, and you said, I, I need to be, nobody else wants to do this. Somebody has to, it's going to be me. Like I, I I'm smart. I can figure it out. Like what was that moment for you? I know you said this is not about you, but it was about the time I started looking for help. Okay. You know, I looking around for like, who can help a lawyer figure out how to do this business thing. And the reason I say that is not just to suck up to you, Rich, but <laughs> because it was coming back from the first set of experiences to my partner and starting to try to implement things and starting to try to pull him along on that river that just, it made everything fall apart hmm. in a good way. Okay. I don't know if that's me looking in the mirror, but that was kind of the no, chicken. No, 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 no. Yeah, it's okay. So you should looking around, uh, Michael. It sounds like you're searching, and and then you found it. So it leads us to what the what what was that thing, Michael? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess this hand in glove. What what was your breakthrough moment? Like when did the light bulb go off and, and things took a turn for you? So. In terms of, I'm sorry, there's, I have so many failures and light bulb moments. I just want to make sure I'm on the right one. <laughs> That's okay. That's right. So for the, in relation to the firm, yeah. where was that light bulb for you that we went from a foundation of quicksand to starting to build a sturdy foundation? It was about in that moment where everything was falling apart in my partnership. It was, you know, when I, I think I had been afraid to rock the boat until we had this sort of conflict around it. And then the words came out of my mouth, maybe we should just divide up the practice areas. And I hadn't meant to say that, but then I went home and I thought about it and it just, you know, that moment where you say something, you're not really sure you believe. And then you start imagining what it might look like. Yep. And I started having this feeling like, well, I could do that. Hmm. Right. I could, yeah, I yeah, could work. You're like, that. 
Okay, I can envision myself doing that, and that maybe seems like yeah. it makes more sense. Okay, so you went on a search, you came into our world, fine, got it, thank you for the credit, but at the end of the day, you had to do the work. So what was that big, like, maybe was there not a big, but was there something you learned in our world being surrounded by your peers that was one of the first action steps you took that seemed to really move the needle for you? Yes, in fact. So at the beginning, I was doing the modules, right? Like I was big on this. I'm going to like pay as little amount of money as I can to all the people who want to sell me stuff. And I'm going to learn how to do it myself. And, yeah. you know, I'm I awesome. get that. Sure. I, I, then, hey, I was raised East Coast German, man. I get it. I mean, you know, Dutch Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm pay as little back in the day. Let's let's get as much as we can for as little possibly spend. I I get that concept. So I mooched off you guys for a little while and then somebody convinced me to come to an event and then I agreed to join the moment I think I'm thinking of when you asked that question is the first time I did a hot seat at oh, an event. Oh, right, 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 right. And I, yeah. you know, proudly, I don't even remember what I was asking for help with, but I was proudly presenting all of the things and like our numbers and whatever. And a member came up to me at the break and just very bluntly said, how do you make payroll? <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, damn, you're right. Good question. <laughs> so, so did that become the i mean and honestly did that become ever like is that that was that the earmark for you make sure there was enough money for payroll or you know like what what was it that how did you go about starting that like if somebody as somebody's listening to this they're like okay emily i got it you're on this journey it was a hot mess you took the lessons from big law try to apply it to the little law it didn't work you got into a partnership that up okay um, you had this epiphany that there was something that was missing on the, um, but, but what, what was it? If you're talking to that person, like what's the first thing you would have them do? So the first thing that I think I hadn't done until we had that sort of epiphany was just like, really ask yourself whether you need all the people in the world that you have in your world. Uh, right? That was a big pain point. But the other thing is we'd never really figured out sales. We'd never really figured out leads. You know, so with the ability to focus a little more narrowly on a few practice areas, we were able to do things like write a couple books, you know, put some lead magnets out there, figure out how to track that stuff. That was probably the first big rock. So those start coming in. So that's great. And that's fantastic. And we feel very proud of ourselves. And then we got to do all the work. Mm. <laughs> and right. right. And then there's a whole other puzzle around because it's not big law we can't pass on every breath we take to the client mm -hmm. it's got to get done with some efficiency it's got to get done with some systems so that was probably our second like laser focus if you will but i can't even call it our second because it's still kind of the perennial puzzle sure right how do we get all that stuff done and at some point I believe you finally convinced me, Rich, or somebody in the program did, that the business model being the smart lawyer for half the price was not probably the right idea. You know, we I had this mentality of, all right, I'm a small firm outside of Boston. What people are going to notice that's different about me than the Boston firms is that I'm cheaper. Mm -hmm. And it really wasn't true. The thing that were people noticing about us that were different from the Boston firms was that they could find us and they could understand what we did and we could get them in the door and get them on their way. So I got braver about prices, probably not as brave as you'd like me to be. Hmm. 
it, it's the first step, right? You got it. It's the crawl, walk, run, right? Mm-hmm. So that's the name of the game. So it sounds like the big thing was first identifying and fixing the sales process. And that meant by actually installing sales systems, but more importantly, tracking the sales mm-hmm. numbers, right? And tracking the metrics. And then you did that, generated more leads, generated more clients, and then you had to fulfill the work, right? And so then putting in fulfillment systems to make sure we're adequately moving them through and providing a great experience while doing it. Yes. And next after that, so we get more leads, we get more people hiring us. We're trying to figure out how to do the work. And I'm still in the consult room Mm. while trying to figure out how to do all the work. Yeah. So you're meeting with all the new prospective clients. Correct. And not doing a particularly good job of it, right? Like they all loved me, but I'm not a salesperson. And the other thing was, is it, it's kind of not possible to both be up to your elbows in fulfillment and the person with the undivided attention to talk to prospective new clients. And honestly, some of the time I'd be sitting in there with a prospective new client, knowing I should be selling them and half of my brain is saying, no, <laughs> if you hire me, I'll have to do your work. Uh, I don't think I ever said those words out loud. Uh, sure. uh, it's not from a, it's not from a, I don't want to do your work. It's that we're drowning in the word you have. And, and so the salesperson is sell, sell, sell. And the operations farm is going, hold on, we can't keep up. And the sales is going, go get more people to keep up because I'm going to keep selling. And when you got both sides of your brain, by the way, I'm right now, like I am, I am, I'm the first time in my career, I'm a salesperson of those who listen to me long enough should know by now I'm a salesperson. That's what I do. And I'm fully immersed in operations right now on the staffing project that we've got going on. Hired 30, five plus people in the last 30 days trying to figure out all the moving parts. And I got more demand than we have supply. And I keep trying to get ahead in the supply chain. And every time I do, Michael goes sell something else. And I'm like, (laughs) ah, slow down. I got to catch up. Like literally yesterday I begged them. I'm like, can we please turn off the ads? Can we just please turn off the ads? Give me, I need a week. I'm matter of fact, I'm going on vacation next week. So like I need two weeks because I need to get ahead of this thing. I just hired six people. Let's get them in. Let's get them trained. Let's get the inventory, you know, lousy word, but let's get the inventory where it needs to be. So I understand like there is a real battle that goes on in your head, but you don't, you don't want that to be in the consult room. No. And so 2018, we jumped off the cliff and hired a non-attorney salesperson and was it perfect right away? No, but did it change everything really, really quickly? A hundred percent, both in terms of, you know, what you would measure as hard sales numbers, but the amount of my time that I could control suddenly mushroomed. Crazy, right? Right. Michael, isn't the, it, that, that sales role, it's so reactive. It's reactive. It's one of the most on-demand roles in a firm because you've just always got to be on, right? You got to be on, you got to be open, available, have the capacity to take consults. And then when you're in consults, you got to be on, right? You got to be actually running the structure, running the system, closing the deal. It's just reactive. And so Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to balance the consult room and everything else. Does it provide a lot of room for creativity? No, no. 
which right. is what a lot of attorneys like to be. They like mm -hmm. creative solutions to the problems, right? Uh, but we don't we don't believe in that, and so you end up with this robotic. Like I remember talking to uh, one attorney, and he said he he heard what Michael had to say about how he should build a structure, and he goes, "If I have to do that in the council room, I'll quit," because <laughs> he goes, "That sounds so boring." He goes, I mm -hmm. like going in the consult room and I like hearing their challenges. I like coming up with these creative strategies and working with them and like giving them advice and then let them know how smart I am. He didn't say that, but, you know, theoretically, let them know how smart I am. And so they, they hire me because I'm so intelligent and I've got a great plan for them. And that's why they hire. Like, yeah, that's that's not the right way to do it. Right. And so you just that, that person since figured out that he can do all of those things after somebody pays the firm money for him to do that. Right. Of course. They, they, I mean, right. yeah, they, everybody figures it out at some point, but everybody at different points. I do want to address something. So I just want to point out for those who are listening, because I know we talked about the doldrums and I appreciate you being so transparent and open and, and vulnerable about the fact that you've had challenges with the business. Cause I, cause I know you're wickedly intelligent and highly talented attorney and you couldn't be that unless you were wildly, uh, you know, good, smart, and you, you had good grades and you had good acumen. And attorneys by nature don't like getting things wrong. But in business, failure is rewarded because you learn from it and you pick and move on. Um, but I do want to point out your successes because I think when I met you, we'll just speak appointment law cases alone. Maybe you had eight or nine-ish, ten-ish cases a month. Is that right? Sounds about right. It's been a long time. It's been a while. and that, And I think like last month, is it in the 40s-ish, something like that? For over the last year, it's been between upper 30s to 40 new cases yeah. a month. We're carrying about 200 because they don't all open and close at the same time. Right. And so I know you said that that in <clears throat> itself comes with its challenge. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, kudos to you. Congratulations. Absolutely. Right? Thank you. Big law to partnership out to to shrinking down to different practice areas, to learning a whole new thing, and then taking it upon yourself and growing your firm some 400 plus percent in case volume and, you know, still in, arguably in the game, figuring it out. But, um, you know, you're, you're there, you're in the game and uh, you can do it for as long as you want. You can build it as small as you want and you're, you're playing the game. I mean, does it feel good to, to feel like, do you feel like you're, Control is a weird word, and I don't think any attorney actually feels totally in control because of the circumstances. But I would I would argue that many attorneys who are very good at their craft feel like they control the situation an awful lot because they understand their craft well. Does it feel like you're more in control of your business at this point because of the knowledge you have? 100%. And, you know, not only am I more in control of my business, but my business and my team is more in control of my business. Mm. You know, having moved over some period of time from the center of all knowledge and information to listening to people answer a question the way I would have and been like, OK, cool, I'm not needed. <laughs> nice feeling, I'm sure, right? <laughs> Every day, but. Yeah, that's terrific. I think that's great. And I mean, obviously, from a sales process perspective, I've gotten to see that over the last year and a half or so, which has been super exciting to watch. So certainly kudos, and it's fun to watch the non-attorney get in there and crush it too, which is always good. So I'm curious, Emily, you're speaking to other law firm owners here. Is there a particular book that you enjoy that you would recommend to other law firm owners? 
it's also stage dependent. <laughs> right? Good answer. You know, I love Mike Michalowicz's clockwork. It's not that useful for a solo practitioner. And I didn't really read any of them when I was small. Like, not small, but when my firm was small. Sure. I would say I'm a huge fan of Mike Michalowicz's. I would read any of that. I really enjoyed sort of Cialdini's persuasion work, not because I love sales as much as you guys do, but because, you know, the more I listen to this stuff, for attorneys out there, don't kid yourself, everything you do is a version of sales. And by that, I don't mean closing the deal. By that, I mean persuasion. Hmm. You know, you're moving your clients through a process. You're moving your team through a process. So I guess it's not a perfect answer, but there you go. No, it's a great answer. That's the first time somebody pulled up Cialdini. That's good. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I think what she said is spot on. Everything in life, I believe this is sales in some way, shape or form, right? May not always be closing the deal, but certainly persuasion. So I think that was well said. And for the attorneys listening, I think that's definitely a very valuable lesson to pull out of this. Emily, you've got a lot of exciting things happening. Obviously, you've had a lot of success over the last couple of years. What's got you fired up and excited today? What's got you amped up? So what's got me amped up right now is the thing I've been preparing to do by trying to pull out of the litigation world, which is I really want to start in the next six months or so building a specific service for small employers Mm. to deal with not only the legal questions around employment issues, but there's a lot of expertise out there that a small business owner doesn't access when they're in the middle of freaking out over a problem employee. So yeah jazzed about building that out i'll do a shout out for for anybody listening to this reach out to emily if you would love it if there was an attorney who had a simple subscription service that you could go to to get like employment questions answered at any given time i know i use emily for that service as we speak And, and so it's just great to have a sounding board a connection with somebody who understands at least the generalities of most laws and most guidelines in state state for sure but but the guidelines and so i yeah I'm, I, that's a program i'm super excited about not only not because not only because i think it's valuable but i would be a consumer right because and cool. and as you know all of our members you end up giving free legal advice all the time to our members because they like they put it in the chew, you know the queue and they're like hey does anybody have i've got this situation with an employee and we're all just sitting there waiting for you and i <laughs> and i know you're waiting for all of us politely to let us give our thoughts and then you come mm-hmm. in and clean up behind us and you're like well <laughs> i appreciate rich's vision on this however uh, you might want to reconsider that concept of using one bullet and just line them up because that might not be appropriate any longer in today's society, right? So, um, anyway, so uh, you know, you, your your advice from an employment law perspective would be much needed out there in the world, not just for general businesses, but but for your peers owning their own law firms yeah. as well, because they're not employment lawyers, and just because they're a lawyer, that doesn't mean they have the answers they need to have about employment for sure. So. I'm excited about that. Uh, so, so Michael, I think this was good. Anything else you want to touch on? No, I mean, Emily, if people wanted to reach out and connect with you in any way, shape, or form, and you do not have to give your phone number, I don't recommend it. This goes to a lot of people. <laughs> what would be the best way for someone to connect with you? Probably the easiest way is to either go to www.slnlaw.com. We've got a general email box info at slnlaw.com that gets enough eyeballs on it to get to the right people. Mm-hmm. For Perfect. sure. Yes. 
Um, and, I, and I got a passing question before we get into the gentleman's agreement. If there's the, the person listening, you're listening, you're in the you're out there trying to garner free information and, and spend as little as you can and get as much as you can. Um, speak to yourself. What, what would you tell yourself that, that you should focus on first? If, if of all the things you got to do one thing first, and I guess it's relevant to where they are, but let's assume it's something that's universal. What would you tell them to do? Ask yourself honestly if the what you're doing in the practice of law is something you love. Hmm. That's not the mathematical answer, but I no, that's fine. And be honest yeah. about your numbers. Don't like be vain about how many clients you have if you're waking up in a cold sweat every two weeks when it's time to do payroll. Mm -hmm. That's great. I, that's wonderful advice. I, I think that's really wonderful advice. And look to the law firm owners listening. First off, Emily, want to thank you. This was super yeah. valuable. I think everyone was able to take something from today. But for those that are listening, we have the gentleman's agreement around here. And what that means to us is if this isn't your first time listening to the show, we would kindly ask, you know, we invest our time, money and resources into putting this together. All we ask for in return is that you drop a like, you comment down below, let us know if you have any questions for Emily. And depending on whether you're listening or watching, hit that subscribe or follow button and turn those bell notifications on. But again, Emily, I really appreciate you being willing to share everything you did today. And I think it was super helpful. Anytime. Yeah. Good to see you both. Yeah, it's good to see you too. I'll, I'll say uh, an, uh, another plus one on what Michael said. Look, uh, this we're building this community so that we can we can speak to you. You, you hear it. We want Emily to, and, and our guests to speak to you, the, the attorney that's out there that's searching. You're trying to figure it out, right? And I'm hoping you're picking up a nugget here or there. So feel free to share this, right? That's what it's all about. You can go ahead and grab a copy of it, share it with somebody else that need it. Um, that's what we're trying to make a better community for owners of law firms. Again, law firm, uh, attorneys who make it made a choice to be a business owner to sell legal services as opposed to a, a lawyer who happens to own a law firm. And, and if you're in the latter part, part of that equation and you'd like to figure out how to get to the former part of that equation, keep listening. Emily, it's been great seeing you today. Thanks as always. Not only do we consider you a, a good friend, but it's been wonderful to watch you succeed. I can't wait to see you at the next event. All right. Thanks. You too. All right. Thanks, everybody.